Amen. Thank you for that. That was a blessing. I'm glad God has given talent to some people, aren't you? And uh, I was in a church in Montana. They run about uh, maybe 40 on a really good Sunday morning. And I've been there three times. And that little church has 13 pianists. Wow. 13. And I said to the pastor, he started the church, and I said, Pastor, how did you end up with 13 pianists? I mean, they have a different lady play for each congregational song. Uh, they, I mean, literally, they, they just keep uh, flipping in and out at the piano. And, and I said, how would you end up with all these pianists? I mean, I'm in churches of 300 that can't find one. And uh, he said, you know, when I started this church, I told my wife, you're going to take piano lessons. And after you take piano lessons, you're going to give piano lessons to every little girl that comes to our church. And uh, she has for now over 30 years. And uh, they have plenty of pianists. He said, I determined that I was never going to be without a pianist. So maybe that's an idea. But uh, anyway, thank you for that. That was a blessing. I enjoy good music. I wish I could sing uh, maybe one day. I sing like the guy in jail. I'm always behind a few bars, can't find the right key. But um, I sure enjoy it. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Scriptures. Read a few verses starting with verse 13. Mark chapter 3. Thank you for the good spirit in the meetings and a good fellowship. It's needed, and uh, but you have to bring that with you when you come to a meeting like this and I've sensed that, and I know others have as well. Mark chapter 3, look at verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house." The names we find here in these short verses are well familiar to us. We would refer to them as the twelve disciples, or perhaps later on the apostles. Now many followed the Lord Jesus Christ during His time of public ministry. There were those who came to hear Him preach. There were those who saw His miracles. And there were many that decided they would follow the Lord. How did Jesus land on choosing these 12 for this special mission? What was it about them that stood out? What qualified them, if you please? What is it that Jesus saw in these men that he said, Hey, I want you to follow me. It appears in other passages that Jesus went to each one of these men and said, Follow me, and they did. But why? Why did he choose these? It would have been pretty amazing to be one of these 12, would it not? To hear what Jesus preached and to be able to ask him questions after the message. To be able to see the miracles that Jesus did. It would have been pretty special to be one of these 12 disciples. 
So what is it that stood out in their life that drew the attention of the Lord Jesus Christ that he asked them to follow him? I hope you want to do something special with your life. I hope that you would want God to put his hand of blessing upon you in a special way to do something that would be eternal. Let's make three observations about these men this morning. First of all, we see that they were a chosen remnant. In verse 13, the Bible says, He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. This was not something that they themselves desired. This was not accidental. This was not uh, some happenstance that they ended up following the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not a coincidence, if you please. Their selection was on purpose. Jesus called whom he would. Aren't you glad that God has a purpose for all of our lives? God had a purpose for us even before uh, we were aware of who he was. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, God already knew who he was, and God already had a plan for his life. I think of Philip who found Nathanael and brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, he said, Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, uh, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when I was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Aren't you glad that God saw us before we saw him? I'm glad that God had a plan for our life before we even knew what a plan would even look like in God's timing and purpose. God sees us. God loves us. God desires to use us. He has designed us. He has redeemed us. And now he has a purpose for our life. And by the way, that purpose is perfect. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's hard to improve upon perfect. It's hard to improve upon complete. It's hard to improve upon that which is fulfilling and, and, and justified. God's plan for us is a great plan. He chose these men on purpose. But I want you to see... Secondly, a very curious resume. Now, obviously, these men must have had great character, right? I mean, Jesus could see their heart. He could see the inner man. Uh, uh, men looked on the outward appearance, but God's able to look at the heart. And so, obviously, when Jesus saw these particular men, he must have seen some great character. Uh, no doubt they had a, a good work ethic. No doubt these men, and we can even see in some of their lives, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were busy about doing something, and surely God called them because of their work ethic, perhaps. Uh, maybe it was their academic uh, ability, their aptitude to learn, their ability to grasp things, to organize, to strategize, to administrate the work of God. No doubt that was part of why he called them. 
No doubt they had dynamic personalities. After all, they were going to be dealing with people. Ministry's not paperwork, it's people work. And, and God must have seen some dynamic personalities here that he was attracted to and, and thus called them. No doubt they were super talented. They were good speakers. They were physically gifted for the rigors of a, a three-year journey. Well, let's look at this resume. We'll just stay in the book of Mark for the sake of convenience, but go to chapter 4 and verse 35, if you will. Let's check out their resume. In verse 35, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and saith unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So number one on their resume, they are fearful and without faith. Go to chapter 6 and look at verse 47. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land, and saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. About the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto, the unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they, they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. This event takes place shortly after the feeding of the thousands by Jesus Christ, and yet now they see him calm the seas once again, but they're amazed. They can't believe they're seeing this. Why? Because they were men of hardened hearts. Look at chapter 7, verse 17. And when he was entered into the house from the people... The disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, Are ye so uh, without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without enters into the man, it cannot defile him? So they were men without understanding. They were slow learners. Chapter 8, verse 13. And he left them and entered into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they, they, had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he said to them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, neither understand, have your hearts yet hardened? 
Having eyes, see ye not, and having ears, hear ye not, and do ye not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they, they said twelve. And when the seven, and when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? They were dull. They were forgetful. Look at chapter 8. Look at verse 31. The Bible says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. So, next on the resume, they were men-pleasers. Chapter 9, verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered uh, him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more unto him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. These men lack power. Chapter 9. We're just reading their resume here. Verse 33, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed about among themselves who should be the greatest. They were jealous. They were self-seeking. Chapter 10, verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. They lack compassion. Chapter 10, verse 23, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? 
And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. They were men of doubt. Chapter 14. Look at verse 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I'll smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I'll go before you into Galilee. Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. They were overconfident. Chapter 14, verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit here while I shall, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on, his, on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? They fell asleep while they prayed. Has that ever happened to you? Chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth? But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. Deniers. Chapter 16, verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Filled with unbelief. And no doubt the pinnacle of it all is in verse 14 of this chapter. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not that which they had seen after he was risen. He upbraids them, not a word that we use often. A word used at the time of the cleansing of the temple. He upbraided those who had made the house of God a, a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer. And he overthrew the tables. He made a scourge and drove out the animals. He upbraided them. And here he upbraids these twelve for their hardness of heart, for their unbelief. That was their resume. But I want you to see, thirdly, a compelling revelation. Now, it seems like in verse 14 here of chapter 16 that Jesus is a little upset. He's a little frustrated. I mean, their, their lives had hit this pinnacle now of unbelief. And it would appear that Jesus is very upset. Very frustrated with these 12 men. 
Look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He gives these men the Great Commission. How could he use these men with a resume like that? God is not attracted to our strengths. He's attracted to our weakness. He's attracted to your weakness. Did you see yourself in these disciples as we went through their resume? Did you see any of those same characteristics in your life? I do. We like to talk about our strengths. We like to highlight those on our resume, as it were, in our mind. But God wants our weakness. God is looking for our weakness. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh are called, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise, and the weak things and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in His presence. God is attracted to our weakness. If God were attracted to our strength, if God called us to ministry because of our strengths, guess who'd get the glory? We would. But God wants our weakness. What did Paul say when he came to Corinth? I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is experiencing a messenger of Satan. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. We're familiar with the passage. We don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. It was obviously something physical. It was something that bothered him in the sense of the, the ability to serve in, in his flesh. And many have surmised as to what that may have been, perhaps his eyesight, uh, many suppose. We don't know for sure, but Paul was burdened about this infirmity. He was burdened about this messenger of Satan that was hindering him. And three times he besought the Lord that it would depart from him. And I don't think he prayed at breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a day. I think there were three seasons of time where, where Paul perhaps fasted and prayed that God would remove this infirmity, that God would take this thing away. But what did God say? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God's strength is not made perfect in your strengths. 
God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when Paul got that thought in his mind, what did he say? (laughs) Well, God, if that's the case, give me some more weakness. Right? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in reproaches and distresses in afflictions. Bring it on, Lord. Bring some more weakness. Because I need your power. I need you. Can I just encourage you this this morning to stop using your weakness as your excuse? It's exactly what God's looking for. And weakness can be personal things. It can be perhaps, a, well, I, I just, I can't sing, or I can't preach, or I can't administrate, or I'm just not a good organizer. It, it can be personal where we see these weaknesses. It, it can be our culture around us. We can say, Lord, why am I living in these days? It would have been so much easier to live in the first century, or maybe it would have been easier to live during the times of, of D.L. Moody or something. It's so hard today. And we look at all these weaknesses that we supposedly have, and we hide behind them and we say, I can't do what I was supposed to do because of all this weakness. God says, give it to me. Because my strength is made perfect in weakness. God took the fearful, the hard-hearted, the slow learner, the forgetful, the man-pleaser, the guys who lack power, The men who were jealous, had no compassion, doubtful, overconfident, proud, prayerless, deniers, without faith to believe. And he turned the world upside down with those men. And God wants to do something through us. You're in this room on purpose. You're here because... You're who he would to serve in that position or that ministry that you occupy. You're not there by happenstance. You're not there by coincidence. You just didn't end up there through a process of evolution. You're there because God called you and put you there. And you can hide and I can hide behind I can't do this or we can't do that in this day and age. But we need to give our weakness over to the Lord and watch his strength become perfect in that weakness. We're prime candidates to see the power of God. Let's pray together. Father, publicly we often try to accentuate our strengths. We don't like to be embarrassed by our weaknesses, but privately we know what they are. We, We know where those times of doubt, those times of jealousy, those times where we seem to lack power, where we're reading our Bible or praying and we fall asleep, those times where we're proud, over-anxious. And Lord, if we're not careful, all those weaknesses mount against us to where we might have the thought that we should just quit. We're not able to do what you've called us to do. And Lord, we're in those moments at the exact spot you want us to be. 
Because as we surrender that weakness over to you, you give power to them that have no might. To the weak, you increase strength. For you said, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Thank you that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Thank you that when you use those weaknesses in our life, we have to stand back and say, it was God. It wasn't me. Because I know me. That wasn't me. I believe these disciples, they were just men like, like we are. I believe many, many times throughout the book of Acts, they, they must have looked around and thought, God is using us. We blew it so many times. And yet God is using us to reach the world for Christ. May Lord you be pleased to use our weakness. May we surrender those weaknesses to you. As heads are just bowed for a moment, no doubt in these last 25 minutes or so, you've thought about some weaknesses in your life. I'm sure if you haven't thought of them, the devil has. And if you ask him, he'll tell you what they are. He'll tell you where you're not fit to serve the Lord, where you're not up to speed with what a preacher ought to be or a pastor's wife ought to be. The devil reminds us often of our failures, our insufficiencies, our inadequacies.